everybody. How are we doing? Doing good? That's good, that's good. Okay, well, welcome to The Ascent. Um, my name is Chelsea. I normally can be found leading the production team, but from time to time, I get to uh, talk up here and then everyone afterwards kind of goes like, wow, we let that girl talk. Like, she just kept talking, it just didn't stop. So forgive me in advance. We're all gonna get through this together. It's gonna be fine. Uh, we're in a series right now called The Future is Ours, and we're diving in to discover God's gift of the future and maybe even possibly what we're supposed to do with it. Anyone else like God, what am I supposed to do, or is it just me? Okay. Okay, a few of us. Okay, good. Good. Wow. Um, so last week, Brittany gave us this great message, and started. we started really to discover that you know, who we are becoming is so much more important than actually what we're going to do, which is often the question that we're asking God and what we're trying to find out. And so today I hope to make this really practical as we really dive into how we can become the person that God wants us to be. So we're going to dive right into scripture and we're going to head somewhere a little unexpected. So without further ado, if you have a Bible, if you got a Bible on your phone, we're going to turn together to the book of Ezekiel. And some of you are already starting to sweat because you know what this book is about. And yes, I'm aware. Ezekiel is a book about a prophecy of coming judgment for the kingdom of Israel. Wow. Okay, here we go. Really getting into things. Here we go. It's going to be fine. Don't freak out. I mean, you're not an ancient Israelite or anything, right? Yeah, we'll find out soon enough. We'll find out. So, Ezekiel. Here we go. Um, now, before we go here tonight, I just want to say that Something that's clearly been theming tonight is just the expectation of what God is going to say to us. In so many of the songs we were singing, Brittany encouraged it to us as well. And so I just want to really encourage you guys tonight. You know, we have this like motion of we just get set and like, okay, now we're going to sit and we're going to hear a thing and then we're going to leave. And like, really, do you believe that God can speak to you tonight and can change your life tonight? Because I do. And so I really encourage you to lean into what we're about to learn together with that expectation and really find in this what God is saying to you personally. So I'm going to read the text and then we're going to focus together and pray and we'll uh, see where we take this takes us. Okay. Ezekiel 18, 31 to 32 says, cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that you would be at work in our hearts tonight, that you would be revealing to us what it is that you're trying to say and that we would leave this place changed in the way that you are pushing us to change and becoming the person you want us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do a quick, quick read of the room here. Um, how many of you, when you were kids, wanted to be a doctor? You can raise your hands again. A doctor. Okay, we got a, only a couple. I thought it was a more popular thing, but all right. Maybe, maybe you wanted to be a fireman. Any firemen in here? I feel like that's like the courageous, like, cool job. A couple people, all right. Um, how about a nurse? Wow, Ingrid had a lot of things she wanted to be. She was really unsure as a kid. I mean, it's fine. I'm still there. It's great. Um, okay, now we're going to change gears a little. How many of you grew up being, thinking to yourself, you know, I want to be a malicious person? <laughs> Nobody? Okay. Interesting. All right, well, how many of you thought, like, I want to be a dishonest person? Yeah. <laughs> Told your parents, and they're like, awesome, honey. No, no one. Okay. Um, 
Let's try one more. How many of you thought, I want to be a violent person? I mean, your parents might have recognized that in you, but I don't know if that's what you wanted to be. And what I'm trying to get at here is, and what we're going to discover is that the story of the Israelites we read in Ezekiel is really a lesson in becoming someone you never dreamed to be. As I mentioned, Ezekiel is all about a coming judgment for this people, for their disobedience. Now, if you have an idea what the Old Testament is about, you already know this kind of disobedience Israel thing is kind of like a theme, and you're probably at risk of, you know, avoiding or not thinking about this very important question, which is why? Why were the Israelites disobeying? What caused them to find themselves in this place? And, and why were they following other nations? Like, why did they rebel against God? Like, what was the enticing factor here? And there's lots of different ways of looking at this, but as I've been studying this, I've just come to this realization for myself that seems to suggest that the Israelites failed to set their focus on the vision for who God wanted them to be. And instead, they were becoming enticed by what the world around them was doing and being, and that's what they wanted to be. And see, Israel was a small kingdom surrounded by many larger and more powerful nations. They saw power and wealth and influence and fame in these other nations, and they wanted to be what these people had. They wanted to have what these people had. And so they started doing, as these people did, pretty natural progression. You know, they adopted their values, their morals, their customs, and even the idols of these nations. And so God pronounces judgment on the people for their disobedience, but it's not just idol worship that he mentions. Included are a host of other heinous practices that had become prolific among these people. Ezekiel 22, verse 6 to 12, lists the offenses that God calls out the people on. He says, your leaders, the princes of Israel among you, compete in crime. Your community that's insolent to parents, abusive to outsiders, oppressive against orphans and widows, you treat my holy things with contempt and desecrate my Sabbaths. You have people spreading lies and spilling blood, flocking to the hills to the sex shrines and fornicating unrestrained. Incest is common. Men force themselves on women regardless of whether they're ready or willing. Sex is now anarchy. Anyone is fair game. Neighbor, daughter-in-law, sister. Murder is for hire. Usury is rampant. Extortion is commonplace. And you've forgotten me. Decree of God the master. You see, if you were to ask the Israelites in this time whether their desire for the future was to be a murderous, disrespectful, malicious, sexually violent, dishonest people, I'm pretty sure their response would have been the same kind of crickets you guys were earlier. But by failing to set their focus on God's vision for who they were supposed to be, they began to take the shape of a people they never intended to be. The reality is what we do today will shape who we become tomorrow. And if we want to be the person God is calling us to be tomorrow, we've got to change our actions today. Or we're at risk of really destroying our future. There's a story I heard in a message from an American preacher named Andy Stanley. Some of you may know him. And I found it to illustrate the importance of this so poignantly. This is actually in a series about dating, so pay attention. You might even get some dating tips here. And I just want to share that with you because he just has this way of telling it that I just could not do justice to. So have a look. When I was preparing for this series, I did several things to try to get ready for this. And one of the things I did is I met with nine or ten um, single people who are like thick in the whole dating thing. And I got them in a room and I said, okay, let's just talk frankly about dating, okay? You know, it's been a long time. And so I, I want to understand. I want to understand terms. I want to understand experiences. I want to understand expectations. And I thought I understood all this, but I just, you know, want to hear it firsthand from some really neat people. And one of the young ladies in that room 
told this story, and I, and I feel like it explains and illustrates this point better than any other thing I've heard. She said, um, grew up in a religious home, kind of had the Sunday school background and, you know, the Bible and Jesus and God and that whole thing. Went to school, graduated, came, came to Atlanta and immersed herself in kind of the singles dating culture. And she said, you know, it's not that I quit believing what I used to believe. It's just that I kind of took all of that and I just put it on the back burner. It wasn't like I had some religious epiphany, you know, one night, <gasps> Jesus is not the son of God. You know, not, it wasn't anything like that. She just said, I just, I decided in terms of my dating and my relationships with guys, I'm just not factoring that in. So she's living the life, doing her deal, you know, having fun, things that she, you know, looked back on and said she wished she hadn't done. Anyway, so she's going along, so she, she's at some gathering. I don't know exactly what it was. And in this gathering were some people she didn't know, and she began to meet some people, and she met this guy. And she said this guy was like the total package. Those are her words. The looks, the job, the personality, everything. And she said as she began to talk to him and as she began to listen to him talk, it became very apparent he was a Christian. And not only was he a Christian, he was a Christian that was figuring out and committed to living out his faith in his job, living out his faith in his relationships, and living out his faith in his dating relationships. I mean, he was very overt about that. Mature, good-looking, I mean, everything. And she was like, wow. And she said as, as she talked to him, it brought back memories of some of the things that she'd kind of put on the back burner as she'd immersed herself in this dating culture. She said that really wasn't working out very well for her. Well, anyway, she left that party or that gathering, just, just, wow, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. She went home. I don't know if it was the next day or, you know, a few days later. She goes home, and she starts telling her mom about this guy. She's going on and on how good looking he is, and he's got this and that, and he's a Christian, and on and on and on. And she said that her mother turned to her and said, sweetheart, the problem is a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. She said she literally fell to the floor in a puddle of tears. And she cried and she cried and she cried because she knew her mom was exactly right. And she said that was a defining moment for her as a single person. A defining moment where she decided, you know what? She's right. That guy that I'm kind of looking for, that I would never admit to myself I'm looking for, he's not looking for somebody like me. She said in that moment, she decided, life change, priorities changing, values changing, friendships changing. I'm going a different direction with my life. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Like, my heart, seriously. When I first heard that, that cut me like a knife. And it just has stuck with me as this poignant example of just the discrepancy between what we desire for our future and the reality about what our, where our future can actually end up where if we don't take action, just how heartbreaking that reality can actually be. When we allow ourselves to become shaped by the values around us, we're at serious risk of destroying our future. And what's important for us to see and understand is that God's desire is not that we would destroy our future. He gives us a hope and he shows us a better way, the only way that leads to life and the future that he's designed for us. And so here we come back to our text in Ezekiel 18, verse 31 to 32. God says, cast away from you the, all the transgressions that you've committed and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord, so turn and live. God says in order for us to live, 
in order for us to experience the future that he has for us, we must turn. We need to turn our focus from what the world is enticing us to do and turn your focus towards God and who he's called you to be. And what particularly struck me as I read this the first time is that God says, make yourselves a new heart. We are required to take the action here. Now, I think in terms of really understanding this, we need to see that uh, what is meant by the word heart here is key because we often tend to think of this in kind of like a love sort of way. And while that's like particularly true and particular, or partially, sorry, gets at the point, I don't think it gives us the full picture of what God is really calling us to. You see, the Hebrew word that's used for heart here is actually translated to refer to the mind or the will, the inner man and woman, our intentions. And so in order to avoid destroying our future and instead experience the life that God has in mind for us, we are called to take action in changing our hearts, to shape the intention of our lives after who God has called us to be. You see, unfortunately, the Israelites did not heed this instruction, and as a result, the people of Israel had unintentionally become, the, the people that Israel had become, sorry, had unintentionally led them to their own destruction of their future, which, as prophesied in Ezekiel, became manifest in the literal destruction of this nation. But unlike the Israelites, the girl in that story, she recognized that she was living in imminent danger of destroying her future, and she turned and decided to start the process of changing her heart. So now the question remains, how do we actually do this? Like, it's so nebulous. How do we change our hearts? It's so, like, mystical. But I, I just find it so interesting. Tell me that why is it that when it, be, when it comes to what we want to do or what we want to be, we naturally seem to be able to adopt this rational, methodical way of thinking about how to make this happen. But yet, we don't seem to consider taking this approach when it comes to who we want to be. Think about it. As kids, you know, we have those dreams of who we want to, what we want to be when we grow up. And I mean, really, as kids, it's just wishful thinking, right? Like, we probably didn't consider much of what it would take to actually get there, to actually have that career. But in maturity, if I decide that I want to become a doctor, I don't just sit there and pray about it and pray that one day I'll wake up and I'll magically be a surgeon. No, we don't think that way. Instead, we recognize that there are steps to getting there. When we go to university, maybe we start volunteering in a hospital or a care setting. We study for the MCAT, we apply to med school. There's this logical series of steps that we take to get to that goal, to get to that desire. And yet, if I decide to recognize that God's called me to be a more patient person, what do I actually do to make this happen? You see, we seem to default to kind of this childish approach of wishful thinking, in a sense. And, and maybe if we're really serious about it, we'll pray about it every now and then, but we're not likely to take actions and steps to make this happen at all. And listen to me carefully here, because I'm not saying that God doesn't work through prayer. He absolutely and most certainly does. But remember, he's called us to make ourselves a new heart. We have a responsibility to take action to make this happen. So we're going to start applying this practical approach to who, becoming who God wants us to be right now. And much of what I'm about to say is to be credited to a man named Ken Dick. He's a pastor at Village Church in Surrey, B.C., and uh, he developed this program he called Authentic Living, where a lot of this teaching is from, and I took it while I was living out there going to school, and it has absolutely shifted my paradigm in terms of how to become who God's calling me to be. So here we go. I'm going to call this Three Steps to Heart Change. Really simple. Here we go. Step one, define your values. I don't know if you caught it, 
But did you notice the actions and directives that girl in the video mentioned at the end there, or we talked about? She had said that at her turning point, she decided that her values and priorities needed to change. And I'm afraid that many of us today are simply unaware of the values that we're living by. We might think that we don't have values, but whether we know what they are or not, every one of us is living by a set of values. All of our actions are driven by our values. So now, this is a very rudimentary example, but consider the action of drinking water. For a lot of people, this action is driven by a built-in physiological value of survival. You value to survive. You need water to survive, you get thirsty if you don't have enough, so you just fulfill this value, you act accordingly. But for me, the action of drinking water is actually driven by my value in developing and dance, because I actually hate drinking water, I find it extremely inconvenient, and if I'm honest with you, I don't get thirsty. But drinking water helps my body do what it needs to be in order to assist my development in dance, and so recognizing and naming this value shaped the actions I took. I started drinking water because of this. So if we want our actions to elicit heart change, we've got to recognize and name the values that are going to motivate these actions in our lives. Now before we define our personal values, and we're gonna get to a point of doing this really practically today, I think it is important to define what a value even is. And this is Ken's definition of values. He says, values are deeply held personal beliefs fortified by an emotional commitment that is strong enough to warrant sacrifice in order to fulfill. So going back to my simple water example, I value developing and dance enough that I'm willing to sacrifice the inconvenience of drinking water to do this. Now the emotional part here is important because what's going to drive me to be willing to make this sacrifice is my why. Why do I value developing in dance? Well, because I think it's an important part of who God created and called me to be. So the first step in actually defining our values is to discern who it is that God is calling us to be. And if you happen to be here with us last week, Brittany already gave us kind of a head start to this process as she shared with us the importance of writing down the vision that God has for our lives and who he's calling us to be. And we took some time to think about this for ourselves and actually write something down last week. So if you were here and you were able to discern that, I, I want you to bring that to mind. But if you weren't here, or maybe you wanna do a little more thinking on just what that could be, let me give you some prompts on how to discern who God is calling you to be. Firstly, and probably most obviously, the word of God. The word of God will directly inform you about who God is calling you to be. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrows and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is living and active. His spirit is at work when we read the word and he will reveal to us where our hearts and intentions aren't lining up with his. Another potentially more painful but super impactful way to go about this would be to ask those close to you, like really close, like they have to actually love you, um, if there are character qualities they see in you that don't line up with who God has called you to be. Now, we actually had to do this in this course that I took, okay? They had a list of character defects, a list of terrible things that a person could do or be, and you had to give this list to people that you loved, and they had to check off all the worst things about you, and then you had to receive that back and take it with grace, and this is why you need to know that they love you. And then our task was to figure out what the transformation character quality would be. So if this is my, my, you know, my negative bent, my defective character, what is the opposite spirit that I could intentionally walk in 
to overcome that. And so this is a really eye-opening but really cool way of doing this. And so, for example, like for me, it might be negativity. That could be my character defect, could be. And so perhaps a transformation character quality would be encouragement. Another way of discerning uh, is to consider your temptations and vulnerabilities, areas you know that you're currently walking in disobedience to God, and then again, trying to determine that transformation character quality. A good way to take action against living in the past, which is one of the future killers Brittany mentioned last, last week, would be to consider past hurts, failures, regrets, or names you've been called, and moving forward beyond those things by embracing the transformation character quality or maybe the truth that God has that would oppose that. And if you're feeling really good about yourself and none of this has convicted you in any way, I encourage you to check out the list of desired qualities of a leader found in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 7. That includes, to name a few, self-controlled, peacemaking, free from mind-altering indulgence, and one of my favorites, domestically responsible. It's in there. By this time, you should have at least one thing that's striking you about who it is that God is calling you to be. And if you're anything like me, you probably have more than one. So we're going to take some time right now, make this super practical by writing it out. At the end of the rows, there's a little kind of book card, bookmark. There's some pens. I need you to pass that out. There's not enough pens for everyone. So if you happen to have a pen, use your own pen. Go ahead and grab them. We are doing the hard work of changing a heart today, right now. It's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. So, now you'll notice on the paper you've been given, once you have it, on the one side, there's a space where it says, I value, there's only one blank. So for today, I want you to just pick one thing. There's probably lots of things that need to shape your values. There's probably lots of things that God is calling you to be. But just pick one thing. It's important that we start with one so that we don't get overwhelmed by this idea of who we should be or who we could be but we want to be really intentional. So before you write anything, I want you to consider this question. Which character quality, if embraced, would make the greatest impact in your relationship with God, yourself, and those you say are important to you? I want you to actually think about that right now, right now and I'm going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in here, and we just pray that you would reveal, reveal to us tonight Reveal to our hearts who it is that you're calling us to be and what it is that we need to pay attention to. What, what is the things that you are wanting us to grow in, to develop us in? God, we just pray that you would bring that to mind in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you feel like you've discerned the character quality God wants you to take on, I want you to write that down right beside where it says, I value. Now, to make this a really meaningful value statement, we, we really need to define that emotional part. Your why. Why is it that you value this? And this is important because it's going to be what drives you to make the sacrifices required to actually become this kind of person. So God, I just pray also that you would help us. Help us to define our why. Why do we care about this thing? Would you just bring that to mind and help us to see what that is in Jesus' name? When you're ready, you can go ahead and write down your why beside where it says because. Okay, now that we purposely defined a personal value to guide us into becoming who God desires us to be, we're ready in to move into how to change a heart, step two, which is practice your values. Ooh, didn't see that coming, did ya? Kind of wishing you would have written a different word down, I bet. 
maybe domestically responsible is sounding pretty attainable right now. You see, values have the most impact when they're accompanied by positive declarations of intent and supporting actions that are specific and or measurable. I know this sounds really difficult, and it is. This is the hard work of changing our hearts. So I want you to ask yourself, what are the subsequent actions that would most effectively express this value and prove its place of importance in my life? And it's very important to be specific about what you're going to do rather than general, and you have to frame it in the positive. So for instance, if, I, if my value was to be a more patient person, it's not powerful for me to simply say, I'm not going to get frustrated when I have to wait. Instead, you want to select an action you're purposefully going to do. You frame it in the positive. So for instance, one suggestion I've heard for practically implementing patience is to purposefully stand in the longest line at the grocery store. Or maybe you just purposely choose not to go to self-checkout because really, who goes in the actual lines when self-checkout is available? I do not understand this to this day. Again, this is hard work. It doesn't sound pleasant. It's not going to sound nice. But if we really want to be the people God is calling us to be, if we really want to change our hearts and take hold of the future he has for us, this is so important. And we can't simply expect that doing so is not going to come with challenges and opposition. I want you to really think about this for a moment and actually write something out. Write something out where it says, therefore I will. Write something you're going to do. Choose one thing you can do to actually walk in that value that you have. God, I just pray that you would help us to make this heart transformation thing so practical that we could carry this out with us in the way we live our lives in the world. And would you just impress this upon our hearts, Lord? Okay. Now, finally, if all of this heart transformation stuff is starting to sound like a lot of work, at the very least, bordering on impossible, get ready for number three. And I promise... Whoever you are and wherever you're coming from, number three is going to change your life for sure. So here we go. How to change a heart, step three. Ask God to change your heart. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. But wait, I'm confused. What about all this make yourself a new heart business? Hang tight with me for just a moment. I know we're probably experiencing some turbulence right now, but I promise we're going to land safely. You see, Ezekiel 18, verse 31, is only one half of the equation, and herein lies the problem when we take passages out of context. If we read this in the context of the book of Ezekiel as a whole, we'll soon find that we're missing something. You see, sandwiching this passage in chapter 18, there are two other passages on either side, that would seem at first glance to be in direct opposition with what we've been studying and exploring thus far. You see, in Ezekiel 11, verse 19, and another moment of reprieve from all the judgment stuff, God speaks through Ezekiel and he says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within, you, within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And if we move over to the other side, we see in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, these words are echoed almost exactly, but with an added emphasis to further the point. Here it says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
So what do we do with this? Which is it? Is God going to change our hearts? And if he does, does that mean that we're off the hook? Now, to the best of my knowledge and understand, to the best of my understanding and interpretation of the knowledge presented on this subject by a variety of theologians, I'd have to conclude that it's a both and. One pastor and theologian puts it this way. He says, the biblical truth lies in the paradox in which God causes the miracle of unhardening and I act the miracle of unhardening. God is the decisive cause, but my acting is a real essential part of the miracle taking place. You see, the problem is, by nature, our hearts are contrary to God's intentions. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. We need to recognize that in order for our hearts to truly change, we need God to work a miracle in our lives. And if your mind was blown before, what's truly revolutionary about this idea is that the means of this miracle of unhardening is the work of Christ. The promise God makes here in Ezekiel to give us a new heart is a powerful image of the restoration to new life that God made available through the sacrifice of Jesus. Through Christ, we've been empowered to be made new. We've been granted access to the newness that is otherwise impossible for our hearts. And Paul explains the regeneration of our hearts through Christ in his letter to the Ephesians. You were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses, i.e., we needed a new heart. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world, but God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, even when our heart was broken, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. You see, the story of your own personal transformation is so important because it's part of the grander gospel narrative of the regeneration of humanity made possible by the restoration of Jesus. From God's perspective, our identity has already been transformed, not because of who we've decided to be, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And it's our response to this reality that drives us to take part in the miracle of unhardening our hearts, to do the work, to become who God is calling us to be, to make the lives that we live reflect the life and the character of Christ and invite others into the hope that's found in him. Because what hope he offers is beyond what they're going to do for the next 60 years or so. It's the true life that we inherit in eternity spent with our creator, God. And as we end here tonight, I just want to pray with you to that end. God, I want to pray firstly just for the people that know you. And God, I just pray that they would, their hearts would begin to turn and they would begin to recognize that your, who you are is longing to be revealed through them. God, would you encourage and empower them to step into your identity for who you created them to be and show that to the world. And God, I want to pray for those who might not know you in here. You know, those who might not know why they would want to be who a God would want them to be. God, would you, would you open their eyes to see that you've designed something so much sweeter for their life than they realize? that you created them not just to have a better 80 or so years on earth, but to spend an eternity with you. God, that they, you would soften their hearts to see that where humanity has failed, God, you were willing to die and bring this life to us. 
God, thank you for this hope that we have in you. Thank you that you promised to change our hearts. Thank you that you do give us what we need to do the hard things that you're calling us to, to become more like you and to reflect you to the world. And so God, we just thank you for your grace. We know we're not perfect, but you, you don't care about that, God. You're looking for us to turn our heart and our intent toward you, Lord. But you, would you help us in making this practical? And would you help us carry this with, with us as we leave here today, that we would truly begin to experience the change that you are already working in us? In Jesus' name, amen.